Patty, great episode today. I always like having James Huber on there in the oh. match list. I mean, that's something we've never talked about, right? And it's nothing like the match game, James. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it is actually the opposite. Right? It's actually the opposite. And I'll tell you, uh, every time we speak to, to James, I feel like I've learned so much. And and I, I found this in um, particularly enlightening, and I hope our, our, our listeners do too. There, he has some real nuggets of information there that can really help you and your merchants. Yeah, absolutely. And then tell us about the insiders report. Oh, uh, we're talking about uh, economic indicators and how things are seem to be uh, churning up now as uh, stimulus checks uh, go into people's accounts and needles go into people's arms with COVID vaccines. Yes, yes for sure. And then uh, questions in the field. We really dive deep on this one. Oh, this is um, a deep one, but it's really worth listening to, folks. Uh, James yeah. has some really important insights that he that he shares with everybody this yeah, week. You know, I basically just condensed the last three years of doing one-on-one coaching with sales agents and executives into a 10-minute conversation about your beliefs about the payments industry and how those negative beliefs a lot of times can just have a devastating effect on your performance and what to do about it. Um, and so, I don't know, Patty, I'm really excited about this. I think it was a great episode. I'm ready to dive in if you are. Let's go. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. All right, everybody. I am here today with Patty and our friend James Huber. Uh, James is an attorney with Global Legal Law Firm. How are you doing today, James? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me here. Awesome, man. We're always glad to have you on the podcast. And oh, uh, yeah. today we're covering a topic that I don't think Patty and I have ever discussed, whether it's an insider's report or an interview, and that is the match list. Now, of course, you know, James, we've had you on different, you know, podcasts and events before, so I won't get into all the backstory here, but can you give us a little bit of context as far as just what is the match list? You know, why is it such a big deal for merchants? And just kind of introduce this concept to our listeners a little bit. Absolutely. The match list is MasterCard's alert to control high-risk merchants. And I will tell you, I looked up that acronym to prepare for this podcast. So, but I've, <laughs> I've been doing this for 10 years, wrestling with this list because it is it's a beast, you know, yeah. it's, so what it is, it's MasterCard's naughty list. Once you're on the list, it's, it can effectively shut down your business. Sure. You know, the processors, they are supposed to check this right. uh, every time they approve an account. Now, interestingly, the being on the match list cannot be a reason to deny an account alone. But anyone who's ever tried to get a match list placed knows that it's, you know, pretty much pretext. You're not getting an account. Right. Uh, there is, it's worth mentioning, there is the TMF list. This is terminated merchant file, right. which is Visa's list. Uh, but it's not used as quite as much. Um, you know, Visa also reports to the match list. Uh, so I think that that's a little bit more robust of a list. Sure. but. Sure. You get on any one of them, you're in a pretty bad spot. You know, mostly people are put on this for excessive chargebacks is an easy one. Or, right. um, you know, we see a lot of, you know, those are the ones that are maybe a little harder to dispute is excessive chargebacks, except that, you right. know, I'll get into it later, but there are ways around it. But laundering is a big code where sure. it's you have five merchant accounts and you're t-shirt business all of a sudden has a bunch of CBD running through it, that would, mm -hmm. which sure. is considered laundering. 
in the eyes sure. of match so and the law. You're using your merchant account for something other than what it was created for. Yeah, and this can be something pretty minor even. You know, we've yeah. seen people put the wrong website on their account and the processor go, hey, what this was your website and we're coming back and be like well this is my web sorry this is my website for my other business whom right. you're processing for who's doing underwriting over there right um but you're on it and if you don't you know gun up to get off it you're on it and then it can even be a problem where if you don't try and get off it right away if you go to the processor and they they have seen you're on it and they deny you an account and you get off of that list later, somebody else can check the underwriting. And if they're talking to the same system, they can be like, oh no, you were denied an account because you were placed on match. What was going on there? Never mind. We don't want to touch it. Right. Right. So I guess the, the short version for our listeners who are not familiar with the match list, basically, if a merchant is accepting, you know, credit cards, Visa, MasterCard, and they do something that gets them on this match list, the short version is pretty much no process or no acquiring bank is going to want to touch them because they're, they're going to assume the risk is too high. And so now that merchant's not going to be able to accept electronic payments. Since many of these merchants are card not present and they're only doing electronic payments, that effectively shuts their business down for all intents and purposes and they're not able to accept payments. Is that an accurate description? Yeah, that's right on the spot. The other thing is it lasts for five years. The good news is that you fall off automatically after five years. Um, I've never had anybody not fall off automatically. I mean, you can get replaced on it of course. again, um, right. but it's not just your business. It's you, your tax ID, your social security number, your phone number, your address. It's a whole bunch of stuff that can end up putting you can't even not only, yeah, your other business, any business that you're associated with. If you're a manager right. of some business and a beneficial owner, that business ends up getting shut down. So you don't want to get on the match list. Right. right. So so talk to us about, you know, how big of an issue has this been for merchants historically? And I'm also really interested, especially over the last kind of year with COVID and everything else. Have you seen any shift in this? Um, you know, how big of a problem is this for merchants and, and what's kind of the, the status that you've seen over the last year or so? Yeah, I mean, it is worth talking about. I, so I've mentioned I've been doing this for a little over 10 years. And, you know, if you came to me eight, nine years ago and you said, hey, I'm on the match list, I would have said, good luck. You know, have you heard of straw merchants? Have you been to Barbados? Uh, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> right. So then about, you know, six, seven years ago, we started having a little luck because people would still come to us and people are suing, you know, Hey, it's defamation. Right. None of those arguments were working. Not, right. None of them worked. Sometimes right. they worked and that it's like, Oh, this is not worth the headache. Let's not spend money fighting this. Right. Those weren't working because it was, you know, how essential is accepting electronic payments and, you know, judges, no offense to any of them, you know, I don't think that they were getting how essential this was. People right. were still using cash. Sure. Now, in the last year, the the match list has been going bonkers. I think if there's a ticker of merchants being put on the match list, that thing is, you know, it's ticking clicking all away. The time. <laughs> yeah, clicking away. So, you know, I think at this point, we're all aware that there's a little bug going around that shut everything down. So now we've got merchants that were 
selling online, let's say a good one, pool supplies. Right. You still need your pool supplies. You can't go get your pool supplies. This right. is essential. Your pool is going to turn green, you know, all this stuff. Right. So people are going online. They don't know what to order because they're, you know, it's a mess. And then there's supply chains messes. And so these people are getting put on match lists because people are charging back and their business quadrupled. And, you know, on their application, they said, oh, I do about 50,000 a month. Now they're doing 500,000 a month. Match list. You're processing beyond your, you know, what you, you put on the agreement. And all these customers are complaining, saying they didn't get the supplies. You're going, yeah, they got their supplies, but they don't know they the wrong. difference between chlorine and fluorine or whatever. So right. there's been a tremendous, tremendous uptick this year in people getting put, placed on the match list. But when I'm talking about the, the uh, regulatory environment, which I think affects how whether merchants are getting taken off of this, we are not to toot my own torn, but we are getting people off of the match list at, you know, I would say somewhere around 80 to 90% of the people that come to us. And we wow. have a lot of people to come to us, probably 20 a month or more. Um, you know, the phone's ringing every day, all day, get me off this match list because everybody's been on it. Now, like I right. said, over the years, we've kind of been like, look, we're in business. We love making money, but don't, you know, spend money with me. You're just going to pay that in rates, processing offshore or setting up your business so that you're somehow not involved with it. So we, we have a humongous uptick in match list, but we have a humongous uptick in getting people off of the match list. Right. Um, because of these issues. And I think it's the regulatory environment too. I think that the, you know, it kind of ties into the social media cases of these companies have too much power. Right. Mm -hmm. And now if I'm going to go take this to a judge who himself or herself has been ordering things online for the last mm -hmm. year using their card, right. I think the, it's going to start clicking of, oh, wait, hold on a minute. Right. right. Yeah, sure. I love it. I love it. So so I guess kind of my last follow-up in this section here, I just, I just want to get a flavor from you of why should our audience care about this? So we have ISOs, we have agents that are listening, right? And so, you know, what are some situations that you're running into that they're experiencing where you feel like them gaining an understanding of the match list, maybe even working with you guys on this, what do they need to know? What do they need to do to take advantage of some opportunity here with this change in the marketplace with the match list? Absolutely. There's a couple, there's a couple reasons. One is you want to keep your merchants off the match list. If your merchant gets matched, they might blame you. And you're also going to lose what was probably a really good account very lucrative, maybe a little high risk, but was growing like crazy. Um, so you want to keep, keep them off the match list. So, you know, you've got this great account, all of a sudden it starts booming. You're going great. Here come the fat residuals and they get shut down. So you want to be looking at your merchants processing close, looking at chargeback levels, looking at anomalies. And, you know, the other thing I said is that it might be your fault that they're on the match list. You may have written down the wrong website mm. on the application. You may yeah. have not talked to them sure. about what, kind what of their processing limit is. Right. They sent you a 20,000 a month statement, but you didn't know that was their off season and they do half a million a month in the, in the main season. And when that happens, all of a sudden they get on the match list and they, of course correctly blame you for that. 
Right. 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 So you want to keep your merchants off the mass match list. So it's really good to get a, get an education, um, you know, bang around on the internet for the different reasons, codes, give us a call. We're happy to talk to people about it because being proactive and keeping your merchants off of it, you're going to make more money. Right. right. And I'll, I'll tell you, I would be surprised if anybody with a, you know, more than a hundred merchants hasn't seen, seen this happen to them sure. uh, this year because it, I, I can't, you know, talk enough about how wild it's going right now. So yeah. mm. um, the other opportunity, of course, is there are a lot of merchants out there, not necessarily even from the last year, but, you know, anytime in the last five years that are on the list and they're either paying through the nose, they have a straw signer, they're processing offshore or they're waiting it out. Right. So there's a huge opportunities to help these merchants get off the list, find regular processing accounts. Then you've got a loyal customer who's going, wow, you know what you're doing. You got me off this list. I hired an attorney back in the day and they didn't have any, you know, they couldn't do anything. You know, my right, family right. law attorney, he was great at my divorce, but he didn't have no idea. So <laughs> right. the other thing is you can still, you can still charge pretty good rates to these people. You know, if they've been paying eight to 12% processing offshore, you know, you can bring them back. Yeah, the other opportunity is right. you can vet these merchants out and go to the processor and go, because these processors are seeing it too. You can vet these guys out and go, look, they're on the match list, but this was a mistake. And, you know, this is one thing we do. My plug for myself is that we give an outside opinion. Hey, we're processing pay payments, attorneys. Here's an opinion letter. This is totally viable. We're just dealing with a stubborn processor. Right. That won't admit their mistake. Because to get right. off the match list, the processor has to say, my bad. I made a mistake. Ooh. Not and they don't like doing do. that. Right. <laughs> so, not not going to happen in this universe. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's actually more often than, than you might think. because, But you can imagine why they wouldn't want to do that. Sure. Because, right. like, oh, if you're making a mistake here, where else are you making mistakes? Right. But, um you know, what our method has been is make it less painful to say, I'm sorry, which is not mm -hmm. painful at all, except my three and six-year-olds are writhing still from, you know, this weekend. <laughs> but, right. um, the uh, you know, make it less painful to just take them off. The other right. reason is we have seen agents get placed on the match and more so on the TMF list. Really? This is a little new and novel, but there's nothing that says this can't be done. Huh. So I have even, you know, advised clients to go ahead and do it on a rogue agent who is committing fraud. The argument would be they're in on it. So, you know, you're an affiliate sure. marketer and you're setting up 700 accounts for this one merchant. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're helping commit the, you know, potential yeah. laundering and the fraud. Right. So I would say that you, you could be placed on that list and that's not a good look either. Right. Right. Sure. Let me, if, if you don't mind, James, I'd like to just follow up on, on merchants themselves. I mean, you, you spoke about, it seems, you seem to be suggesting that the e-commerce uh, sphere is where you're seeing a lot of this, but are there specific types of merchants that are more likely to be pay, placed on the match list than others? Sure. There are, you know, there are certainly, you know, anybody selling nutraceuticals, mm -hmm. you know, CBD, anybody dealing in digital currency, but 
we have seen it across the board, a broad spectrum. I mean, the, the number one reason is, you know, high excessive chargebacks. Right, sure. But mostly when it's excessive chargebacks and you're not doing anything about it, mm-hmm. where it looks like you're actually committing fraud. fraud. But, you know, if you have a good right. refund program right. um, and things like that, yeah, I don't think that you should be right. on the match list. But yeah, yeah, I think, you know, it, it would be those that you would expect, you know. Sure. Like CBD, neutral chemical, uh, neutral pharmaceuticals, whatever they call that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. well, and it, well, and it sounds like too, CBD. Yeah. And it sounds like too, I mean, these are merchants that, you know, you know, as you mentioned earlier, it could be a merchant that isn't one of those types, but now they're doing a lot more online and they're not used to getting used a lot to of it. chargebacks. So right. they don't even know what to do with it. Right. Like I, I'm they sure don't even know how to do too. Right. I would imagine it's like they're getting these chargebacks because they don't have the proper refund policies for an online presence versus when I just want to bring the pajamas back. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Identity theft is a big one. You get your account stolen, you get put on the match list. Um, hack. People will hack and run a bunch of transactions through mm-hmm. your terminal. Right. People will get matched. Hmm. Interesting. So, so, you know, we've talked about the match list. We've talked about what it is, you know, kind of, you know, how you get on it. And we've talked about why it's interesting to ISOs and agents. Now what I'm curious about is what do you do about it? So you've touched on it already a little bit, but can you, you know, we don't have to share all the magic sauce behind the scenes. I know your firm really is uniquely positioned to handle these merchants because of your connections in the payment space. You know, everybody, you know, I'm, I imagine it'd be a little easier for you to get a concession from a processor than some random attorney. So you have a huge leg up, but can you share with our audience a little bit of, you know, what does it take to get off the match list and what are you doing to help these merchants accomplish that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you touched on it. One thing is we are able to leverage our reputation. We've litigated against a lot of these processors and we know what they're doing well and what they're doing not so well. So I'll run into a, uh, you know, a match merchant that maybe they should be on the match list or, you know, maybe they, you know, tick all the boxes, but the processors, they engage in a lot of activity that, you know, maybe wouldn't uh, look so scrupulous in a court. So, you know, one thing we, we go at them is, all right, so you had this merchant processing, they're doing, a, you know, they started hitting two or 3% chargebacks. Now you shut their account down, you held a million dollar reserve, and now they're at 40% chargebacks because they can't hit refunds. So processor, instead of making $2 for every refund, you're now making $7.50 for all of these chargebacks. Doesn't that seem a little uh, you know, nefarious and you're holding all of their money so you have no risk of loss because you're clocking against this. So right. judge, uh, judges love these un- unfair deceptive business practices cases because you know before lawyers you know, got there's just so many of us and we're all just making money. We're the watchdogs out there mm-hmm. making sure that this stuff is going, not going on. So um, we have a lot of success with those arguments. Like I said, we have sure. the a success with the violation of due process, the fifth and 14th amendment, where you're not supposed to be deprived of your property without a fair application of the law. Right. People get on the match list. You don't even know you go apply for another account and you find out. Sure. 
And I would say, you know, the reason that those, you know, the defamation cases weren't flying because, the, you know, that gets into a constitutional argument too is well, you can go, you can take cash, not the case anymore. Right. Absolutely not the case. I get a little excited about this one. We are, you know, moving these along, these cases along through the courts and it's, it's, we're getting a lot more receptive here, uh, but your typical, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask you, I mean, is, do they end up going to court, most of them, or are you able to negotiate before you go to court for a lot of them? Yeah, no, 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 almost none of them go to go to court, you know, okay. some, okay. because, you know, one, it's very expensive. Right. Uh, processors probably have more money than the typical merchant. Um so, you know, it's David Goliath and right. a lot of times in civil litigation, you know, the deeper pockets wins. But right. so, so in the in the typical case, um, we, you know, I don't like to go at the processor guns blazing. Here's my argument. Like, how right. dare you put me on match for chargebacks? And they might be like, well, that wasn't the reason. Right. So we'll go at them a little bit coy of, you know, hey, there was a mistake here, give us all the information, gather all the information, knowing what's going on, and then present our argument. So it's usually, you know, one one or two letters, sometimes the first letter just works, and they get off, they go, yep, our mistake, whoops, somebody made a mistake. Um, but, you know, we, we start escalating one, two, sometimes three letters, usually after the second letter, you know, how much of a fight this is going to be. Um, we also have a feel for which processors are more receptive sure. or not. Sure. Um, but it's, you know, what we do all day. We gather all the facts, we apply the law, and then we go at them hard saying this is going to be painful. And the nice thing is you'd be surprised of certain businesses' appetite here. Some people feel very wronged by this, and they are willing to invest uh, to, you know, correct the wrongs that right. have been done to them. So um, that's the nice thing is the processors will sometimes look and go, you know, your guy doing, you know, 50K a month, he can, he's really going to sue us. And we're going, yeah, yeah, he is. Or if he's mad enough. <laughs> he's mad enough and right. we will. And, and that's, right. that's where it comes down to is, you know, look, right. can you just take him off or do you guys want to spend $300,000? Just take him off. Right, right, right. Well, well, and two, I, I think it's worth mentioning that, you know, the fact of, you know, going to court, I mean, these people, it's not just that 50,000 a month business, it's their personal reputation. Right. And they have maybe other businesses or they're trying to start another business. And, you know, in today's economy, if you can't take electronic forms of payment, I mean, you're out of luck. That is a really, I mean, that is a massive limitation. And I think there's a lot of business people where it's like, look, I'm not going to have that stigma on my reputation. I don't care how much it costs. My reputation is more valuable than anything. I'm going to get this fixed. Right. Um, and so I agree. I think you can, I, I know some merchants that have, have been, they dig their heels in on this one. And it's like, no, no, I'm getting off the match list. Right. Yeah. Sure. yeah. So James, how long does this process take? I mean, I mean, I, you know, I mean, letter writing, I mean, we're not talking about, I send a letter today and tomorrow everything's fixed, right? I mean, it's a, it's a process. I mean, is it, are we talking about months or year? How does that go? No, we're not talking about a year. I mean, lawsuits take a while, so. Right, right. But they often settle quicker. Uh, we, we have 
I, I'll see a lot of them, you know, I hate putting out there because some people will be like, I heard it takes a week, but we've seen it, you know, we send one letter and they get off. Sometimes it's a week. Um, usually you're talking about a couple months and it's, you know, one or okay. the other. Okay. Um, but it's not long. And, you, and right. you know, the nice thing is that at least you'll know, at least you'll have done everything, you okay. know, and we don't charge a lot to do this. We bill by the hours. We do so much of this doesn't matter. So at least, you know, all right, we've tried everything we can. Now let's go try that alternative solution. Sure. And we know that we've yeah. put everything to it because like I said, we come a lot, a lot across a bunch of these where they're like, well, I had my attorney try something and I'm like, let me show you what we can do. <laughs> then we'll get them off. So, right, you know, right. at, least, at least, you know, you can proceed forward, you know, with the full knowledge of how to run your business correctly. But as you say, also, it's not like you go get the same lawyer that handled your divorce or your real estate transactions. You need that's why you are so good at it, because you understand the processing business. And let's get real. There aren't a ton of lawyers in this country that really understand the processing business. No, there really aren't. You know, don't ask me about your divorce. And right. (laughs) I I won't have my dentist fix my car. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think I really want to pivot a little bit for my last question for you, James, because one thing that keeps in the back of my mind is, you know, the executives that are listening right now from the processing companies. Um, you know, I, I actually never realized, even until this podcast, I never fully realized the extent to which this getting on the match list can be error on the part of the processing company. So talk to the executives a little bit. You know, the executives of the processing companies, the ISO, large ISO owners, the VP, the operations manager, what should they be doing so that they don't get a call from you um, about one of their merchants that they accidentally put on the match list or incorrectly, I should say, put on the match list? you have any advice for the ISOs out there to kind of just what should they be doing right now in this changing environment to make sure their merchants are, are protected and, and they're not putting the wrong people on the match list? Yeah, I mean, look, most of these people, well, most of these machines are running off of metrics and right. they're saying, you know, you hit this certain threshold and we've got to put you on the match list. So in the beginning, I'm saying the card brand rules say that you cannot deny someone for being on the match list. They also say you have to put somebody on the match list if, and then it's very vague terms. I would say that there's a very, you know, not a rare circumstances, but 60% of the people on the match list could have gone either way. And you would not have gotten in trouble from an auditor for placing that merchant on the match list. I think that there is going to be an overhaul of this system coming uh, down the pipeline because of the effects. But yeah, my advice would be, you know, think twice before you just click somebody on the match list because, you know, you're, you're in a business and you're protecting um, your, you know, you're protecting your business, but you are, you know, the hand of God here. Right. It's way too much power for five years. You know what? We'll just go dormant for five years and then we'll come back. I'm sure people will still be interested in wearing, you know, COVID, you know, masks in five years or whatever. It's not the case. So hopefully that's not the case, but Um, yeah, it's too much power and get in front of it before that you're forced to do it. You know, Patty and I were joking about, you know, the Durbin regulation, you know, 
Visa didn't Visa didn't increase its interchange rates this year, right? Because they don't want to deal with the, the regulation and what happened last time. Right. right. Get in front of it now and self-regulate. You know, the visa, yeah. the the regulations are self-regulations. The process are regulations. These are your own rules. Right. Right. So, yeah. And I, and I would really imagine that. You know, I would imagine that these processing companies maybe they need to put a human being in the middle of like, okay, there can't be that many. I mean, it's even a large processor. Right. It's not like they're putting a hundred people a day on the match list. So it seems like maybe when that flags, you want to have somebody take a quick, quick that look That was at my it. thought too, James. Yeah. I mean, there has to be some kind of human interver- intervention before a machine just automatically right. makes right. that decision. Yeah. I mean, it's a well, big decision. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, James is always, I love having you on the podcast. You provide so much insight. Um, tell us a little bit more about the law practice and where people can go to learn more, whether, you know, anything payments related that's uh, of a legal nature, especially the match list here. But I know you guys deal with all kinds of contract negotiation and stuff. So where would you send people to learn more about you and the law firm there? You can hit our website. It's globallegallawfirm.com or you can email me, jhuber, J-H-U-B-E-R at attorneygl.com. Uh, and yeah, we, you know, we love talking to agents and even if you're not retaining us, we we like gathering and sharing information to help the you know help the industry grow. Awesome, that's great, James. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us, James, and uh, appreciate the insights as always. Hope you have a fantastic rest of your day. All right, thanks, James. Thanks, Patty. You know, Valor Paytech is just a fantastic company. One of the things, Patty, that's so exciting to me is. Since we started, you know, having them as the official sponsor of the podcast, mm-hmm. you know, one company after another, after another, um, I've been talking to and they say, oh yeah, we already reached out to Valor. We're using them. Their terminals are amazing. Um, and so we're getting a lot of positive feedback um, mm-hmm. and I'm really excited about it. What I would say is Patty, I don't know. Do we have any listeners left that have not checked it out yet? If we, I was if just going to ask you the same thing, because <laughs> it seems like, I mean, this is really going places um, with our listeners as well as with other people. I'm sure there's that word of mouth that progresses yes. as well. Well, you know, absolutely. So definitely, if you have not done so already and you're missing out, go to ccsalespro.com slash Valor, V-A-L-O-R, ccsalespro.com slash V-A-L-O-R. Schedule your free demo and check it out. You're going to love it. It's an amazing solution. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. So Patty, uh, I am working on a new training course. I haven't talked about it yet anywhere. I was going to put something out last week, but I'm like, nah, I'm going to wait until it's totally done. Uh, but it's called Merchant Sales Mastery. Okay. Um, like a master is, class? Yeah, sort of. Um, it's a lot bigger than that, but it's going to actually be about a 30-hour uh, video training course I'm putting together, and uh, it includes an interactive live event. And so it's going to be uh, kind of the ultimate, you know, if you are, whether you're new or experienced in merchant services, if you just want to become a payments expert and really grow and build a business, um, you know, this is going to be the, the authoritative course for that. And so I've been working on it for, well, I've been working on it for 12 years, you know, it took me six months to put this one together, but <laughs> right. anyway, um, but in the process of doing that, you know, I kept coming back as you, I think, you know, me, my content, I like to be just very in, informative and practical, you know? Right. And you know, it's funny. So I have the six week jumpstart program right now, which is where I do the one-on-one coaching. Right. And 
I was kind of auditing myself as I was making this training course outline. And I'm thinking about what am I talking about when I'm doing one-on-one coaching? What are these, what are these people, these participants, what do they want me to talk to them about? Mm-hmm. And what do we end up discussing? And when I really, you know, started tracking that, I was really surprised that, you know, I wasn't really talking about payments very much because I have all the video, you know, it's like a 30, I already have another 30 hour video course. You know, I've got all the content out there. Sure. The reason they wanted to talk to me one-on-one was because of things like they're having a hard time prospecting or they just are not sure if they made the right decision to go to this industry or Mm -hmm. they're burned out because they've already built a big portfolio and they want me to help them figure out how to get to the next step. And all of those things map to the same issue, which is the beliefs that you have, right? Um, the beliefs that you have about yourself, about your work, about your industry. And so I actually put a, a fair amount of time into creating a section of the Merchant Sales Mastery that talks about your beliefs as a payments expert. And I wanted to just kind of briefly talk about a couple of these things that I think are so crucial and just don't get talked about enough. So let me just break down a few of these real quickly in, in no really particular order, but just some of the beliefs I've seen that are limiting beliefs and the things we can do to change our mindset. You know, the first one is just what do you believe is the purpose for a sales professional in general? You know, mm-hmm. what is the purpose? And I think if we're honest with ourselves, I think a lot of salespeople, what they really believe, they wouldn't maybe say this, but what they really believe is my job is to talk people into something they don't want. You know, Mm. that's what a salesperson does. If you believe that, you are never going to be good at sales. Yeah, that's true. Because that's not true. That is what terrible salespeople do. Right. That is not what honest salespeople with integrity and passion, that's not what they do. And so that's what I've always found very intriguing about you, uh, very compelling about you, James, is you're passionate about what you're selling. Yes, and yeah. and that pa- and that passion is founded in your belief system that it, this it is something is. very good. It is. Yeah. It yeah. is. Every every morning when I get up, I take about 10 minutes and I have a list of beliefs and I read these beliefs every morning. I believe this. I believe mm-hmm. this. And part of that is the things I'm selling, you know, I believe I'm going to change people's lives with my training. I right. believe my, you know, statement analysis company is a unique opportunity. I have all, I could go through them. I have most of them memorized, but I have all these beliefs where, you know, as a sales professional, your job is, your belief is you have to say as a sales professional, I am out there trying to help people to make better decisions, to impact mm-hmm. their lives in a better way, you right. know? If you don't believe that, you're not going to sell very good. And so you have to change your belief system to say, I'm actually trying to help people. And that's why I'm selling because I'm trying to help people make more informed decisions. And so everybody needs to have their own unique belief system, but you need to think through and change. If you have a negative belief system about sales in general, change those beliefs to more positive beliefs about how you want to help people. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the other beliefs I I have in the course I talk about is um, I believe business owners need a payments expert like me because XYZ fill in the blank. Right. Right. And when I talk to participants in the six week jumpstart program about this, I, a lot of times get the silence. Mm, (laughs) You know, uh, I don't know. Why do business owners need me? I don't, I need them. I want their money. I want to get residual, but why did they need me? And if you don't understand why they need you, that's probably another good indication of why you're not making very many sales. right? Right. Sure. To me, people need, you know, business owners need payments experts because payments are crucial to their business operations. 
Right. Doing it incorrectly can get them into all kinds of trouble, can cost mm-hmm. them all kinds of extra money. And now in this kind of new reality we're facing, payments are at the core of integration with crucial technology yes. that is needed to run the business effectively. Right. Um, so again, everybody is different. You know, I don't know why business owners need you specifically, but you need to know. And you need to have a very specific reason. And so maybe it's even a vertical. Maybe it's, you know, hair salon owners need me because they need to increase their revenue with online scheduling software Mm -hmm. that's integrated with payments at a reasonable rate. Maybe that's your belief. I don't know. You know, whatever your belief is, maybe your belief is, you know, B2B companies need me because I know how to optimize their interchange and talk to them about complex tax issues. They're going to enable them to dramatically improve their cash flow. you know, but you need to understand and believe this is why I am needed. This is my role in the local economy. And if I was not part of the local economy, it would be worse because mm-hmm. I would be missing. And there's something I do. I, I'm that I'm is, that, yeah, that sustains you know? the local economy, of course. It, does. it yes. does. And then I think the last one I'll mention here, and again, again I'm, I'm, you know, I'm condensing a three hour uh, presentation you know, into, yes, into, into 10 minutes. But the other one I would say is, and this really is where it goes really deep. And I think a lot of people have a hard time with this one. And that is, what do you believe your purpose in life is? So now we're really now we're getting very grand. Way yeah, up, right? way up. What is your purpose in life or your purposes in life? None of us have one purpose. We all have multiple. If you, if you try to if you try to fit all your life into one purpose, you're, you're you can't be a good parent and a good business owner at the same time if you're right. trying to accomplish one purpose. Right? You're going to have these difficult decisions, and we all have multiple things, two or three usually that we're trying to accomplish with our life. But you need to understand that, and then where it gets practical is. How does your work in the payments industry align with that purpose, right? So, okay. so in other words, there are some people that say, well, you know, my purpose is charitable work. I don't care one bit about payment processing, but I need money to invest in charity. Okay, great. Be honest with yourself, right? right? The sure. reason you're in the payments industry is to make as much money as possible. Great. Then align your decisions around that reality. Stop Mm -hmm. doing things that are really not going to pay off because you just want to be the good guy. No, you really don't. You're trying to be the good guy in your charitable work. You're in business to make money and that's your belief, right? Mm -hmm. For me, my personal beliefs is all about influence. I'm trying to influence people. I'm trying to help people. So I can go the extra mile. I can make that free content that people are always, you know, razzing me about that are business people. They're like, James, you put so much stuff out there for free. You know, you could make so much more money. And it's like, well, yeah, but I'm not just in the payments industry to make money. My life purpose is to influence people. Right. Yes, I also have purposes about my family, which is why I like to have the wealth. Um, and I realize that additional cash flow helps me to grow my influence. But it's ultimately for me about influence. So that informs my decisions differently. Mm-hmm. And what I find is with salespeople and in this industry specifically, I find a lot of people who they have a purpose and they feel like, yeah, I kind of know what my life's about, but they haven't connected that to what they're doing in the payment space in right. any way. And they wonder why they're not passionate. They wonder why they can't mm. get out of bed in the morning. They wonder why they don't want to go prospecting. Well, right. it's because you believe that what you're doing is completely outside the scope of your purpose in life. Right. So guess right. what? You're not very passionate about it. Well, right. go figure, right? Mm-hmm. What you need to do if that if that rings a bell with you and you're like, wait a second, you know, what you need to do is take a blank piece of paper, a legal pad and a pen, go drive out to a park somewhere that overlooks a, a you know, a, a bluff or something and sit there for two hours and say, wait a minute, what is my life all about? 
figure that part of it out and then say, okay, I know what I want my life to be about. Now, what is the payments industry? How does what I'm doing fit into this? How can I make this fit in and then adjust your decision-making accordingly? And guess what? The next morning when you wake up, you're going to be like, I'm going to do something. It's my purpose in life. And all of a sudden, you just feel a little bit of extra motivation um, to get out there and do the prospecting, to meet those business owners or to manage that sales team. Right. Or to grow that company or to service your merchants or whatever it is, because you now have to align these things. And so whenever you find yourself doing something that doesn't align with your purpose, you either need to change your beliefs, right? Or you need to stop doing that because you're right. just wasting your time. So, yeah. you know, uh, again, not a topic that we've that I've ever discussed publicly at all, but it's something that I think is, you know, on all of my consulting calls with, with managers. I mean, I can't tell you, Patty, how many times I'm doing a one hour consulting with a sales manager that's not up to, to par. And the mm-hmm. company says, James, can you spend an hour with, with Bill? Um, we're, we're struggling with him. He's not hitting. Oh, yeah, sure. I'll spend an hour with Bill. Guess what Bill and I talk about? Do you think we talk about PCI compliance? No. No. Do you think we talk about EMV? No. no. What we talk about is we talk about Bill's beliefs because Bill, inevitably, I talk to him and I'm like, are you trying to, what are you, what are you trying to do here? Right. And, and inevitably, I come to a point where they realize, well, yeah, I would love to see people's lives changed or made better because of me. And we get to that level. And then I'm like, okay, how many salespeople do you have? 20. Okay. How many of them have a better life today than they did a year ago because of you? Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, I don't know. Okay. Well, why don't you get up every day and try to do that? And then by doing that, you guess what? You're going to, you know, they're going to make you better. better. Yeah, you're going to do better in all these other metrics, but you first have to connect the dots to your mission and your purpose in life. Um, And so I think these negative beliefs can really limit us. And we've got to kind of turn the corner on that a little bit and replace those with positive beliefs. So hopefully if you're out there and you've got these negative beliefs, hopefully this will encourage you to take a little bit of time to identify those negative beliefs and replace them with aspirational positive beliefs of, I wish I believed this. Okay. Say it to yourself every day for a year and you're going to believe it. You're going to believe it. It's, yes. it's going to get inside your head. Yeah, it is. It's all, all about repetition, isn't it? I mean, it is. really I do is. that. That's been so much a big part of my life as well. Um, yeah. You know, it's affirmations. So you yeah, know? Whatever you say to yourself, you know, is, is very, you know, talking to yourself is very important. It's like, it's so funny because, right, Patty, like we instinctively know this. If we talk to somebody else and we tell somebody else negative things about them and we say, you know, you would never go to someone and say, I think you're ugly. I think you're mean. I think you're a horrible person. Unless you're in right? second grade. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. As adults, uh, As adults. We, we would never do that. And right. yet, unfortunately, we say these things to ourselves all the time. All the time. And we don't think it impacts us. Guess what? Right. It impacts you just like it would impact somebody else if you said those negative things to them. Um, and maybe, so, maybe even more because yes. you know it's a, it's a, it's an affirmation you're yes. you're affirming to yourself that you're not worthy right and uh yep. Yeah, yeah. So we, we definitely zoomed out on this questions from the field, but I think it's necessary. I think there's a lot of salespeople that hopefully will at least take a pause and just think about their own belief system and how it's affecting their performance. Really good stuff, James. Thanks for sharing. Thanks, Patty. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. You know, James, we're seeing some positive economic news suggesting that perhaps the worst of the pandemic-induced economic downturn may be over. 
Um, right. I think probably a lot of our listeners heard the reporting that retail sur- sales surged 9.8% in March. Wow. I actually didn't yeah. hear that. That's Yeah, that's 9.8. <laughs> I was like, I, I my jaw dropped. I had to go back yeah. and read it a second time. That's huge. Uh, and that's on top of, you know, jobless claims falling to near pre-pandemic levels. Right. For the week ending April 9th, new unemployment filings were 576,000. And to put that in perspective, the same period, the first week of April in 2020, it was 6.6 million. Sure. That was a, so, uh, that was a little bit of an unusual time. <laughs> I, admittedly, it was. But still, just to, still, you know, yeah. it was pretty bad all last year, you know. Right, right. You know, and as a result of some of these, uh, these new report, this new uh, economic reports, the New York Fed is now forecasting GDP growth of 6.1% for Q1. Wow, that's unbelievable. Isn't that unbelievable? And especially when you consider that in Q1 2020, which was before the pandemic really kicked in, I mean, it right. had started, right. we were at negative 3.4%. Well, yeah, and, and I mean, I mean to put it in a context, I mean, in a, in a really good economic year, right. the entire year will be a 2 to 3%. 2 to 3% we're happy with, right? right. In we're fact, at 6.1% on one quarter, that's huge. At 2019, I think we had 2.5%, 2.7%. So now, you know, the one, the one, you know, I'll play devil's advocate here sure, for a second. Sure. You know, I do have to wonder how much of that, all of those good numbers you just gave us, how much of that is government uh, money that has been pushed into the economy. Through oh, I, I, I agree. I think government, the government largesse has had a lot to do with it. Right. But right. I don't think it's I don't think it can really account for the entire I don't I don't think it can either, but I think it it is possible that it could account for the entire level of confidence in the market. Agreed. And so the question is when it if it ever drives up dries up, um, if they ever decide to, you know, be responsible and, and not spend money they don't have, the question is, you know, are our consumers gonna say, oh, wait a second, you know, I don't have my any of my stimulus money left. And businesses are gonna say, well, we don't have any more paycheck protection program, we don't have any more EIN bailout, you know, then it's gonna say, okay, wait a second, you know, we don't have our EIDL advance, you know, we're gonna stop spending. And then all does that, you know, so I guess my question is I'm wondering if all of this is a band-aid. And the underlying wound has not been fixed, or is it actually a treatment uh, to the symptoms that now are actually right. going to go away? And I think a lot of that, of course, is going to have to do with the vaccines and well, the, yeah. the, the efforts and all the larger context of the economy. You know? And I think that's one of the points I was going to raise. I think that the, the stimulus money clearly had an impact, right. but so did uh, the, in, the ramping up of the, of the vaccines. I, yeah. I agree with you there as far as confidence. Or more I mean, confident. I mean, yes. I know for a fact I've gotten both of my vaccines now. And one of the first things I did was go out to eat. <laughs> right. Of course. Of course. Because I hadn't been to a restaurant in a yeah. year. And it was like, right. wow, this is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also think, you know, I've been very encouraged. I've I've been a Fed follower for most of my career. And, you know, the Fed, it's not just the New York Fed. I mean, in testimony, you know, the Fed chairman last month gave testimony where he, you know, is was very bullish on continued growth this year, not sure. on the level of 6.1%. Of course. But, but at least, you know, I mean, what was it last year? I believe we fell 2.3 from right. 2019 levels. So if right. we can at least you know, get to three or 4% and kind of balance out sure. the 2020 loss. I think right. that's cause for optimism. So yep. um, I agree. 
But I wanted to also just give our, our listeners a, a snapshot of uh, of retail sales data specifically. Um, you know, following, you know, obviously the holiday season was not the best that it's been in years, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, uh, in December we were, you know, I mean, I, I guess we, we from everything I saw, we met, we sort of equaled the 2019. Right, which is which is insane, and and I think we right. would have been. I think we would have been way up. I honestly think the biggest barrier to holiday spending this last holiday season is that everybody there, there just weren't enough people that were used to shopping online. Exactly. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? If right. if people would have been as comfortable with it as they will be next year, I think oh, it would yeah. have actually been up. But it's a it's staggering that we were able to equal 2019. Right. When it was you know it was I mean, one of the worst. The, yeah. the the online sales for everybody was just unbelievably, unbelievably. skyrocketing. Right, right, so, yeah. and 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 you and that's only going to continue. So right, of right. Course. But uh, so anyway, you know, and then there was like a brief setback um, uh, in February. I think we saw a little bit of a setback, uh, but then it picked up again in March and it jumped to six hundred nineteen billion. Mm. which made sales for the quarter were up 14% from the same quarter last year. Wow. Yeah. And then uh, to put this in perspective, you know, um, I just wanted to sort of, you know, sales plunged uh, 8.2% in March of 2020, 14.7% in April 2020. These were the largest declines that we had seen in retail sales since 2008 when the big financial crisis hit. And and sure. then it, they only dropped, I believe, um, eight point, about 8%, just a little, a hair over sure. 8%. Sure. So the fact that, you know, we had 14 and eight, you know, right. basically, basically the plunge in, in March of 2020 was about equal to the November of uh, 2008. Right. Okay. Right. But then um, I also, you know, we also, you and I have talked a lot about restaurants and how they've been really hard hit by the lockdown. Well, the Restaurant Business Magazine reports that food services and drinking establishments generated $61.2 billion in sales in March, Hmm. which was a 13% increase over February Mm -hmm. and only slightly less, it was uh, about a billion dollars less than March of 2019. Mm. Um, and of course, in March of 2020, sales were only 45 billion. So that was about a 25% fall, mm. you know, from March of 2019 to Mar- March of 2020. Mm. Um, and <laughs> the magazine says that these uh, sales are, you know, surges are spread across all types of restaurants. In other words, it's just not that it's not just the takeout restaurants that are booming. Right. Um, you know, fine dining, et cetera. Fine dining. And sure. um, and one of the things I wanted the data points I wanted to uh, bring up for that was that table safe, which is has a pay at the table um, right. Right. solution you know, for high end restaurants. Right. It said uh, dollars spent at client restaurants surged 77 percent in March compared wow. to March of 2020. Well, and I think that just goes to show, I mean, you're talking about fine dining. You know, really, I feel like March was one of the first times that a lot of these markets even and opened that's it. up. Right. You know? I mean, most of the restaurants, most of the, in fact, from the, all of the most popular states only began allowing restaurants to reopen table service in March. Right. Right. Was, New York, California. Right. You know, yeah. Florida. And so was, when you. Um, 
I was even surprised, like just uh, last week, uh, Christina's birthday, I took her to Nimicol and it's a, uh, uh, it's a nice resort in uh, near Pittsburgh. Oh, I saw the, I saw the Facebook the post. Facebook post. Okay. <laughs> um, and you know, they have a restaurant there called Latrec. That's like one of the best fine dining restaurants in Pennsylvania. And, um, you know, I was like, oh, I wonder what it's going to be like, you know, it's, it's, right. you know, cause it's, it's a whole, it's an experience. You don't sure. Want you don't want to have to be behind on. your mask the whole right. time. Right. And, and the other experiences, I mean, there's like only maybe 12 tables in the whole restaurant, maybe 16. Uh huh. Um, and so I'm like, okay, they're probably going to be at like very limited capacity. It's going to be like us and one other person. Cause it's literally like a small room, you know? Right. And, um, but no, they were, I, I don't know what the, the percentage was, but I mean, it, it didn't seem like they were seating people in any kind of a different fashion. The tables were pretty far apart, but right. I mean, it seemed like they were pretty much full up and, uh, you know, we were very happy to go there and have a great experience and eat good food. And, you know, it was, so I think, I think generally, I think a lot of these places are starting to open back up again. And I think as they open back up, we're just going to see, you know, there's so much pent up demand right now, especially in the yeah. restaurant sector. Oh, yeah. And also in the entertainment sector. I'll, I had a friend call me the other day and say um, there's a club in D.C., yeah. a music venue, and there's an artist that we both like. And it's going to be like her first performance since, you know, in a year. And, right, and, right. and, and, and my friend's like, well, uh, and I, you know, she's like, do you want to go? And I'm like, so how is this going? You know, and they're like, well, you have to buy an entire table. I'm like, okay, I'm game for that. That's cool. You know, as long as I'm sitting at a table yeah. with a bunch of friends. Right. Yeah, that's cool. I'm cool. And yeah. so I get to go. So next month I get to go to my first concert in over a year, which yeah. would be and That's I think awesome. you're going to see more of that coming, coming Absolutely. back. We're not going to see the Absolutely. big festivals and all that kind of stuff, but we, right. I think we're going to see more and more. And, and just one little, more little aside, I have to tell you, I, I, um, I have some friends that a uh, bunch of girlfriends and we, we zoom every Friday night, have a cocktail hour. Right? Sure, sure. And just, you know, a gab fest. And right. it was so funny. The one friend shows up and she has this glass of wine and she's like in Delaware, we can take our we can take our drinks home now because of COVID. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> she that's had got funny. out to dinner, you know, wanted right. to make it back home in time for the for the call, and so she just had her wine and a takeout drink in a that's takeout cup. Funny. That's funny. I thought funny. that was very cool, you know, yeah. I th and I think we're going to see more like that because yeah. people aren't going to be sitting around. Yep, yeah. I agree. Great stuff, Patty, as always. Very interesting. And hopefully these good economic times continue and uh, that will trickle down to our industry for sure. Uh, that's what I'm hoping for, James. This episode of the Merchant Sales Podcast was brought to you by Valor Paytech, the technology company that is revolutionizing cash discounting and surcharging with innovative features like dual mid support, waive the fee options, and even adding non-cash adjustment charges to tips. Now, all of this is made possible by a variety of technology devices and solutions such as gateways, tabletop point of sale devices, and features like SMS text messaging and e-invoicing, all with cash discounting in mind. Valor Paytech, bold ideas, smart execution. Make sure you head over to ccsalespro.com slash valor, V-A-L-O-R, ccsalespro.com slash valor. Valor, V-A-L-O-R. Schedule your free demo today and watch videos and learn more about this amazing technology solution. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. 
The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.